when the, the second verse says that he laid his awful glory by, he's not saying that his glory is awful in modern terms, I'm sure most of you know, but for the sake perhaps of the children or of the adults that don't know, it means that his glory is full of awe. That's the, the original term, just so you don't get the wrong impression from this hymn. Indeed, verse 5 expresses very much my sentiment this this evening, as I approach this subject, precious Lord, beyond expressing, how is it? How is it that one starts to approach a theme so glorious, so rich, so awesome and awful? in the old sense of the word, as the preciousness of Christ. Here's a theme that there are no words in the human language combined with the language of angels. Here's a theme. There, are, there is no way that a mere mortal is able to express the preciousness of Christ. Is he precious to you? Is he? Is Christ precious to you? Have you come to realize his worth? Have you come to see him as the most precious thing that you have in your life? Have you taken refuge in him? Have you found him to be your hiding place? Have you found him to be your shelter in the days of storm? Is your shepherd, your guardian, your savior, your redeemer, your friend? Is he precious to you that whatever else might be taken from you, your only plea in life is take everything, but give me Jesus. Don't take Jesus away from me. I submit to you, if he is not precious in that way to you, you still have not found him to be precious at all. We often say he's precious. But do we know him to be precious? Because make no mistake, brothers and sisters, make no mistake, he is precious. The Lord Jesus Christ is precious beyond expression, as we just sung. He is precious in himself. No worth you add to his preciousness. He is precious because he is who he is. He is precious because he's done what he has done. He is precious in and of himself. He, he does not need you to add an a gram to him. You wouldn't be able. Because he's, a, he's precious infinitely. He is God, man. He is Emmanuel. God with us. He is precious not only because he is divine. Make no mistake, as, a, as the God-man, he is precious in his human nature as well. 
whatever attributes, whatever characteristics, or whatever uh, um, excellence, excellent um, moral created traits of character you might find in someone and say that person is uh, a precious person because he's very honest or because he's very wise or because he's very good and altruistic. Whatever goodness you might find in man, he is the highest expression of that glorious preciousness. He's precious in his divine nature. He's precious in his human nature. Nothing. That's why it's so hard to approach this subject because we as uh, finite beings, the only way we can express things is by comparison. Especially when we're talking about quantities and, or, uh, or extent of things. To what can I compare the Lord Jesus Christ's preciousness in nature, in creation, there's nothing in nature, there's nothing in creation that even comes close to being at appropriate point of co- to start a comparison to our Lord Jesus. Everything else, the most beautiful of flowers, the most radiant of stars, pales and shines darkly in comparison to the Lord Jesus Christ in and of himself. He is precious. We spoke this morning, didn't we? About how the the invisible things of God are seen in creation. And yes, truly and beautifully, creation expresses something of God so that every man is inexcusable before him. But yet all these things, the most glorious and fair of angels, has to cover his face in the presence of the Almighty God. All of this, the stars shining brightly, the sun, the moon, declaring constantly the glory of God, and yet they are inept and and very bad points to start a comparison to the beauty, the worth, of Christ. We often go places and see things, especially in nature, but even in creation and even in the ingenuity of man. When, you, when we went to the Netherlands not too long ago, and you see those big dikes that were built and how the man in his, in his ingenuity managed to conquer over the sea and you you stand in all of those things and you imagine as you're standing there eight meters below sea level and you wonder oh wow this was accomplished by man if those dikes were to burst open right now we would be nine meters underwater or when people go to great uh, sites of natural beauty don't put no particularly any in in the UK, and this is not a, a, a dig. It's like I, I don't know of any in the UK to use as a comparison. But people usually talk about the Grand Canyon, how the Grand Canyon is so majestic, 
And just standing there, you get a sense of the, of the smallness of men and the greatness of the Grand Canyon. It takes your breath away. How much more Christ takes our breath or should take the breath away of those who rightfully see him, rightly see him. Compared to the beauty of Christ, all of those things are ugly, defiled, dark, and horrible to behold. That is, if you really know the worth, beauty, preciousness of Christ. Because he is precious in himself. I love those words of, I'm not sure if it was John Flavel, uh, as I was searching them up to this afternoon to, to put them in, and to quote them to you. Uh, they came up as the words of Samuel Rutherford. But I know John Flavel also has them in his, in his work. For, so it's either Samuel Rutherford, John Flavel, or whoever else that is, doesn't matter. The truth of it is what matters. He says, oh, fair sun, fair moon, fair stars, fair flowers, fair roses, fair lilies and fair creatures. Oh, but oh, 10,000, thousand times fairer, Lord Jesus. But then he says, oh, alas, I've wronged them. I've wronged them. I've wronged them by making such a comparison. Oh, black sun and moon, but oh, fair Lord Jesus. Oh, black flowers and black lilies and roses, but oh, fair, fair, ever, ever fair Lord Jesus. Oh, all fair things, black, deformed and without beauty when you are beside the fairest Lord Jesus. O oh, black heaven, but O oh, fair Christ. O oh, black angels, but surpassingly fair Lord Jesus. It is right. It is right. You cannot deny it. That although we can and should at times when we contemplate the beauty of creation stand with, with a sense of awe at what we see when compared to the Lord Jesus, it pales. It's deformed. It's ugly. It's, it's faint and only shadows compared to the beauty of Christ, to his preciousness. All things were created by him, we read at the beginning. All things and were created for him. He is before all things and by him all things are held together. That's why he's precious. Were he not to hold everything together at this very moment, were God to stop his, his sustaining work, everything would crumble away and disappear. All of it, Christ. Christ is precious in himself, infinite in worth. For he is very God of very God, very man of very man. He is the perfect man without sin, the precious man without sin. Those two things brought together only add to his infinite worth as Christ himself took on human nature. It's as if the perfect marriage of, of jewels formed he who was in the beginning with God and, and was God 
and his God. Him who by all thing, by him all things were made, and without him nothing that is made was made. He is precious. He is precious for what we read in verse four. He is precious because he's chosen by God. He's God's own beloved son, the one appointed by him from eternity past. To come and redeem sinners. He is precious in himself. But as our text in verse 7 says. He is precious to those who believe. So I ask you again. Is he precious to you? That this God. The creator of heavens and earth. Should take on human nature. He made sin. You understand. He's precious in himself, but he's precious because of the works he has done in time. He took human flesh. He is precious because he's the word of God incarnate. And he's the word of God incarnate so that he could be the savior of sinners like you and me. So that's why he's precious to believers. To those who believe. He is precious because they understand not only that he's worth, his worth in his human nature, but they understand his worth in, in his, uh, they understand his worth in his nature and in, in, his, in who he is by himself. But they understand as well his worth because of what he has done, as we read in Psalm 150, that he is worthy of being praised for what he is and who he, what he has done. He's precious because he's Emmanuel, God with us. He's precious because of his names. Think of his names. He's the Christ, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the one who was chosen by God, the Father from eternity past, to come and live and die for our sins. The Holy One of Israel, who knew no sin, the coming sin on that wretched cross. On our behalf. He is Christ, he is Jesus, Jesus, Yeshua, Yeshua, Jehovah saves, Yahweh saves in English. His name is precious. In his own name he tells you, I am the one who comes, who has come to save. He is the Prince of Peace. Without him, there is no peace. That is why he's precious to believers. Because they understand he's the one that saved me. The one chosen by God the Father to save. The one who came to make reconciliation between sinners, between man and God. He is the mediator. He is the advocate. He is precious to those who believe. Because we know the worth of what he has done to our souls. A child born. A son given. His wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. That's the dignity and the preciousness of his person. Why is he precious? Because when we behold him, we behold the Father. 
That's what he said. And it's true. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. He said in another occasion that I and the Father are one. It's precious because he is the God of our salvation. He is the Savior of our souls. He's precious to believers because we see not only the... The only point of comparison that perhaps is appropriate here is not a point of comparison, but is a point of contrast. Believers ascribe or recognize in him preciousness in the same measure that they see the sinfulness of their own sin the more we understand how our sin is dark and vile and, and disgusting in the sight of God, the more Christ becomes precious to us. It's kind of like the more it goes down, the greater up his preciousness, preciousness comes to us. That's why when you talk to old believers and you see the love and the, and the, the old true believers, that is, and you see the love that they have for the Lord Jesus so much so that they seem to not be able to talk about anything else but their Savior. Why? Because the older they get, the more they, they understand their own sin. And the older they get, the more they understand even the smallest of sins is so vile and so disgusting in the sight of God that Christ becomes precious even as they grow. What an indictment. What an indictment to us, brothers and sisters. That actually, if not in our words, in our actions, we betray, our actions betray us, that Christ seems to have become less precious to you and me the longer the years have gone by. We seem to love him less, don't we? Or we might not say it. We not by, might be so honest to say it. But don't our words betray us? Or don't our actions betray our words? That actually he's become accustomed to him? That we don't value him as much as we did? Not even talking of valuing him more. That's what he should be. And the real question is, can we really lay claim to being his, if that is the case? Now, I'm not trying to introduce any kind of, uh, of doubting into your mind. But if these things are sounding true to you, and if the, if the Spirit is convicting you, that is the proof that you are his. And that is also the work of the Spirit telling you you need to repent. He need to apply again to the physician of souls as we were talking, I think, last week and come to him and ask him for a prescription. Give me the medicine. Give me the medicine because I know I'm, I've, I'm sick and take that medicine. What is the medicine that God gives us? It's his spirit working in us through his word. Isn't it? And I, shy, uh, I wish I could feel at liberty to say what has been bothering me this whole afternoon. We don't love his worth. We don't love his medicine. Oh, we? 
We'd rather spend our times and entertaining ourselves with all kinds of other things. And brothers and sisters, I'm not pointing the finger any, at any of you in particular. As I'm pointing it at me as well. Don't our actions betray our words when we neglect his word? Neglect what he gives us? Is he truly precious to us? Is he our treasure when we don't want further insights into his preciousness in our lives? When we think we've had enough? When we are just satisfied with the milk of the word? And we don't want to grow? And we don't want to mature? Oh, I just want those old those devotionals. It's too much to take in. Is it truly precious to you? Jesus Christ is precious to the believer because we know that without him we can do nothing. Because without him, we're nothing. Like a newborn babe without an adult to take care of them. Not even that, even worse. By some strikes stroke of chance might be that a newborn baby is able to survive to a point that it can take care of himself I don't know but we certainly cannot take care of ourselves there's no chance in a million years that we can take care of, care of ourselves that's why he's precious to believers because we confess with our words and in, in with our actions we were just reading in the book club uh, this week in James those words that the that James speaks of about faith and works show me your works and I'll show you my my show me your faith let me read them to you someone say I oh I have faith and others say I'll, I have works let me change this up because it is the same thing it's not me changing the word of God or adding or removing from it. It's exactly the same sentiment. It's exactly a different expression of that faith. Oh, I love God. Show me your love without your works and I will show you my, my love by my works. There is absolutely no way you can disconnect the love of God, the fact that he is precious, from the, from the works. There is no way you can disconnect faith from works. They come together. Now, work, works don't produce salvation. But salvation produces those works. Seeing Christ as precious produces those things. Or else, he is not precious to us. How oh, it needs to be precious. Precious, indeed. Precious above all things. Christ is good. He's infinitely good. You could say, 
And I've said it before a few weeks ago, so I, no one complained. So I'm going to say it again because I think it is an accurate representation of, of this. That he is so precious that we would happily forego any of the benefits that he gives us because of who he is. Oh God, take away the pardon, but don't take away Christ from me. Take away heaven. I don't want, if heaven is, out, is without Christ, I'd rather have Christ on earth than heaven without Christ. Is that something that you are able to say when you apply your mind to it? All the benefits. All the goodness, all the bliss, all the bliss and peace, peace and, 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 and release that heaven has from the sickness of the body, from the, the toils of this world. Oh, but Christ is not there. But you can have Christ on earth with sickness, toils, and everything else. What are you taking? Be honest with yourself. Don't need to tell me. Be honest with yourself before God. Because I submit to you, if, if you want the, the former rather than the latter, it, it is not Christ that is precious to you. You want his pardon, his pardon is precious to you. Or you want heaven, his, heaven is, uh, is, is precious to you. Or more precious than Christ. We need to recover. And I know if you're a true believer, there was a point in your life, if not uh, later at the point of your conversion, that Christ became everything to you. I have no doubt about this. That any true believer at the moment of conversion, Christ is precious. That they are willing to give their lives for him. They were willing to lay everything aside. Life is seen as a very good thing. And it is in, in the Bible. It, it's said that Christ came that we, could, to, that we would have life and life abundantly. But when presented with a choice, true believers, those who believe, those for whom Christ is truly precious, they go, take my life, I will not deny Christ. And this is not some exercise of uh, hypothetical things that might happen throughout the history of the world. This has been proven time and time again when Christians are forced with their, with their life for denying Christ, they say, oh, take my life. It is not that precious to me, at least in comparison to the infinite preciousness of Christ. And they've went to those gallows, they've climbed up those, those, those piles of wood, gladly, with a smile on their face, rejoicing, and they kissed the post on which they were to be burned up because they knew that whatever else got taken away from them, Christ was theirs. Do we love God? Do we find him precious to us? It is our need, our wants, our, our, our unworthiness that makes Christ so precious to us. Spurgeon, apparently, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, according to his autobiography, the first sermon that he preached, we all know Spurgeon's uh, story, uh, a conversion, but often we don't know what happened next. 
very in, very quickly after he he was invited with another young friend who had just been converted as well or very recently converted by another gentleman to come and attend a service uh, at a chapel in somewhere i i didn't check this out the the names of the of the places and the story goes that when they arrived there unbeknownst to them the gentleman that had invited them had invited them not to attend the service had invited them to ask one of them to preach now i wouldn't recommend doing this uh, necessarily but that's what he did and in the goodness of God, it turned out that Spurgeon was a brilliant preacher. And having been uh, asked to stand in the pulpit, Spurgeon went and he preached. And apparently, according to his biography, this text of mine was the first passage that he preached from. And I'll read to you his testimony, because I think it is a, a wonderful descriptor of this preciousness. He says that this text, speaking of uh, 1 Peter 2.7, calls to my recollection the opening of my ministry. It is about eight years since, as a lad of 16, I stood up for the first time in my life to preach the gospel in a cottage to a handful of poor people who had come together for worship. He says, I felt my own inability to preach. But I ventured to take this text, and to you therefore which believe he is precious. I do not think I could have said anything upon any other text. But Christ was precious to my soul, and I was in the flush of my youthful love. And I could not be silent when the precious Jesus was the subject I had but just escaped, he says. That's why he's precious. I had just but just escaped from the bondage of Egypt. I had not forgotten the broken chains. Still I did I recollect those flames which seemed to burn about my path, and that devouring gulf which opened its mouth as it ready to devour me. With all these things fresh in my youthful heart, I could but speak of his preciousness, who had been my saviour. And had plucked me as a brand from the burning, and set me upon a rock, and put a new song in my you in my mouth, and established my goings. And now, at this time, what shall I say? What hath God wrought? How hath the little one become a thousand, and the small one great people. What And what shall I say concerning this text? But that if the Lord Jesus was precious, precious then, he is, as precious, he is as precious now. And if I could declare then that Jesus was the object of my soul's desire, that for him I hoped to live, and for him I would be prepared to die, can I not say, God being my witness, that he is more precious to me this day than ever he was? These are not the words of a, uh, someone writing theology. These are the words of someone who has come to experience the preciousness of Christ throughout the years. And he was... A man of sorrows in human terms. 
he was acquainted with bodily sickness. Brothers and sisters, Christ needs to be precious to us because without him we can do nothing. And we need to convince ourselves of that. And we need to live, walk in a manner worthy of him. We need to love him. Because if he's not, and I close, if he's not precious to us, the alternative the alternative is one that I shudder to think about personally. We read that for those who are disobedient, that is for those who did not believe, for those who did not see him as precious, the stones which the builders rejected has become a cornerstone, but to them it becomes a stone of stumbling a rock of offense. That is the alternative. You're either in Christ or you are outside of him. He's either precious to you or he's a stumbling stone to you. You either have him and life or you lack him and have death. I know this is a gospel service and I haven't preached the gospel to unbelievers. The gospel is to be preached to believers as well. We can fool ourselves. A passage that's been on my mind this day is those words of Ezekiel in chapter 33, verse 31. Let, them re- let me read them from the, to you. Ezekiel 33, verse 31. So they come to you, as people do. They sit before you as my people. This is God speaking to the people that were hearing and not doing, that professed but did not obey. They sit before you as my people. They hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. They pursue their own fancy. They're only in it for the gain. Yeah, it doesn't seem normal today to think of coming to church for some gainful reason, but there are those there are those in our midst. As it is life eternal to know Jesus, to think of him as precious, so it is death eternal to be ignorant of him, to count him as, I don't know, what is the, the antonym of being precious, to count him as being replaceable? being unworthy, having no value, valueless, to count him as being empty, pointless. And yes, no one, no one would express that here. But I ask you, do your works show that? 
or do you pursue your own fancy? More than what your words say about him. More than what your church attendance says about him. More than your sitting in the pew, joining this fellowship. More than all of the, those external acts, let's say. Do your works show that you love him? When no one else is looking. Outside of the fellowship. Outside of the services. When you're in the secret. When no one else sees. Is he precious to you? I hope you understand that this is not a, a dig at anyone. This is not me trying to get in anyone's uh, head in particular. It is something that is only between you and the Lord. And I'm not talking about salvation by works. I know salvation is by grace. That's why Christ is so precious. Indeed precious. Because salvation is by grace and grace alone through faith alone. But I'm saying exactly the same thing that our Lord Jesus said about the false prophets. By their fruits you will know them. They profess, they might say a lot of things. Look at the fruits. And not just the open fruits. Church attendance. Obedience to religious duties. Being a good, uh, faithful uh, person that is the first to, to, to do this. Those things that no one else sees. You're pray, praying in secret. You're opening up the scripture in secret. The movements of your affections when the word is being preached. Is it that precious to you when your mind wanders off? When the word of God is being preached? Is it that precious to you when, when you, you, you just want the service to finish, to go? Is it that precious to you when you, you, you pray uh, mechanical prayers? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. The Lord Jesus said, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, said, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. So you see, I'm not talking about salvation by works. In as much that Paul, Jesus, James, Scripture talks about salvation by works, which is nothing. doesn't speak about it. But it speaks about proving, examining, considering your ways, as Haggai says to the, to the Israelites. They look around them. The, the Israelites in Haggai's day, they look around, me, around them and they, they see only uh, unprofitability. It's, it's like God is not there. What an interesting parallel to the situation we see our, in our, ourselves in our own day. We sow, but we don't reap. We, we gather, but everything just seems to... We try, but nothing works. What does Haggai say to them? Consider your ways. Just kind of like what we were talking this morning. 
we excuse ourselves, sovereignty of God, right? The Lord is not blessing the, the ministry of, uh, here in the UK because the Lord is putting the, this nation under judgment. That's why the churches are not growing. But yet, there are churches who are growing. There are churches that are growing here in the UK, thriving, loving the word of God. Is it precious to you? Is he, your, is he your precious redeemer? Because if you have no sincere, truthful regards for him as a precious redeemer, if he are, you are standing at this present moment with your defenseless head, He's not your head. You're under Adam. If you're, if you're standing before the presence of Almighty God, guilty, when he comes, he will not be precious to you. He will be a stumbling block, a rock of stumbling. And that great day of wrath is coming. Who is going to be able to stand? May the Lord bless us. And may the Lord help us. I've wanted to sing this hymn uh, for a few weeks now. To be fair, I think the sermon didn't pan out in the, in the, in the way that I wanted to when I was considering this hymn to, for this particular passage. But in a sense, it is a very appropriate hymn for us to sing. Please, brothers and sisters, let us just sing it if we truly mean it. One of the best sensations you can have is after a good sermon, after being fed by the word, singing. It should be the, the high point of a service, the praising of God. But I don't want us to continue to say things when we don't mean them. So let us consider really these words. Fairest Lord Jesus, Lord of creation, Son of God and Mary's Son, you only will, and there's a mistake here, you only will I love, you only will I praise, my soul's delight, my joy, my crown. Fair are the meadows, fair are the forests, clothed in the loveliness of spring. Jesus is fairer, Jesus is purer, who makes our broken hearts to sing. Fair is the sunshine, fairer the moonlight, with all its stars in vast array. Jesus shines fairer, Jesus shines purer than all angelic hosts on high. Nothing in all the earth, nothing in the heaven above can with his loveliness compare. Now shall my heart's desire to him alone aspire, my Jesus, my Lord, or my Jesus, Lord and King most fair.